Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other apps. We're also on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're pleased to be joined by Tanya Gould. Tanya is a human trafficking survivor, an advocate, and a mentor who has recently been named the state anti-human trafficking director by Virginia Attorney General Jay. Jason Miares. And here's some breaking news at the top of the podcast. Tanya also just received the Presidential Award for Extraordinary Efforts to Combat Human Trafficking. This award is from the President of the United States, and it's a very big deal. So with that, we say congratulations, Tanya, and welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Well, we really appreciate you being with us. Tanya, we're recording this in January, which is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And as a baseline, we should point out that human trafficking can involve either sexual or labor exploitation, and it can impact individuals who are young and old. This can happen anywhere, uh, whether in upscale neighborhoods or less well-to-do communities. And it's a form of forced or coerced human bondage and exploitation that is a multi-billion dollar global criminal enterprise. It can also be acutely local, which I think you can speak to, Tanya. So if you would, can you just please begin by sharing your personal story of struggle and abuse that resulted in your exploitation by a trafficker, and then ultimately the process and the evolution that you went to leading to all that you've now accomplished? Yeah, thank you. So as you said, human trafficking, it's about someone actually recognizing a person's vulnerability. So for an example, you know, in my case, my vulnerabilities, it did come from a broken home situation. I was also sexually abused as a minor and suffered child exploitation through sexual images. And so I also was was physically abused as a child. And so my trafficker saw these vulnerabilities and you say, well, how? Well, you know, he took me out on a date. And it was during that time where I shared with him my story of abuse. And I always want to say this part because people always ask, what can I do to help people or victims in, in this situation? And I say, well, my trafficker said to me after I told him about everything that happened to me, he said, I'm sorry that happened to you. And when he said that, it just caught me in the heart. I felt seen and heard and validated in a sense of belonging. And so it was with that that he used that part of me to, to exploit. And that's what trafficking is. Traffickers are master manipulators. And so he took that and and used it to lure me into what I thought was love. And we dated for a while, which is part of the grooming process, until one day he asked me to do this for him. And so when we look at the definition of human trafficking, forced fraud or coercion, you know, that's that manipulative part coercion where he convinced me that doing this was best for us and that we could make something of this. And so I ended up being in this situation for about 18 months. And it, of course, and I always tell people, it's everything and more to what you think it is when you think of someone being trafficked or when you think of prostitution, buying and selling of sex. You know, it was a really difficult time. So I'm very thankful that a law enforcement officer saw me and went with his gut and saw me as a person and helped me find a way out. 
that's really such a, a an inspiring story about your will and the power of the human spirit to overcome and how you channeled your own trauma into advocacy. You've worked on a White House Human Trafficking Advisory Council. You serve as a mentor to patients at CHKD who are suspected trafficking survivors. You recently ran for a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates. And as we mentioned, now you're working for Attorney General Miares. Do you wish you could focus on practicing medicine without all the distractions? Covaris is here to help. As a leader in medical professional liability insurance with more than 45 years experience, Covaris provides insurance protection with data-driven predictive modeling to help you mitigate the risk of claims. By combining insurance protection with risk analytic services, you can reduce distractions and focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Covaris is reinventing what you should expect from your medical professional liability provider. Find out all Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries, Boston, Massachusetts. Tanya, as you know, the new administration in Virginia has placed a spotlight on trafficking with Governor Youngkin issuing an executive order establishing the Commission on Human Trafficking Prevention and Survivor Support, and then obviously your role with the Attorney General. So as you look ahead, what do you hope to accomplish in this new role working to combat and prevent trafficking? About maybe five years ago, I was working on the state level, trying to work on expungement, vacatur, and the actual definition of human trafficking in our state and what that means. However, during that process, I had the opportunity to serve on the United States Advisory Council for Human Trafficking. And doing that work was just amazing, working with federal departments and looking at states and how we're doing things and looking at nations across the world and having input and consulting and advising. I just learned so much about like how much we can really do the capacity, the, the funds, the passion from people in leadership levels. And so being able to make progress on a federal level was very meaningful to me as a survivor and working with other survivor leaders. And so now I feel so equipped to come back to our state and make big movements. I feel like, you know, I have what I need to help our state move forward. I want to be an A-plus state on issues, human trafficking issues, and how we respond. And I also would love to see us do things on a preventative level so our kids really can just feel safe, parents can feel safe, and, you know, know that we have a handle on this. I want traffickers to know that the state of Virginia is not a place that they can come. Uh, I don't want them anywhere. But if I can take the work that I've done and bring it here on a state level, that would be tremendous. And I love that Jason, our attorney general, has the same vision and and passion for partnership and collaboration. It's really interesting to hear you talk about the different levels that you've worked at, because this really is a multi-stakeholder approach, as a, as you know well. Here in the Commonwealth, many hospitals are engaged on this issue because healthcare providers often encounter patients who are being exploited. There's collaboration, as you know, that's happening between healthcare and law enforcement and other stakeholders to raise awareness about trafficking and how to spot it. And you mentioned the work that the Attorney General plans to pursue uh, with you uh, providing great support for that. As you know, Tanya... At VHHA, we established a task force of forensic and sexual assault nurse examiners to develop a survivor-informed human trafficking manual that we published last year. And you actually review 
reviewed that manual as a survivor prior to publication, I might add. And that has a compendium of information about trafficking and signs that people can spot to identify potential exploitation and more. And you mentioned that education component. And so from your perspective, Tanya, for people who are listening to this, who may be new to this topic or unfamiliar with it, what are some signs that you might tell people to look out for uh, or that might be visible to members of the general public that might trigger to them a recognition that you know this might be a situation of exploitation? Because I will certainly say, having been involved in this area of work for the last several years now, I've had a lot of eye-opening recognitions in talking with law enforcement and talking with healthcare providers about things that, that you might not otherwise notice or recognize. Yeah, you are so right. I just want to like affirm that, you know, with hospitals, from my observation and experience, hospitals and law enforcement, that's where a person working in that field, I believe, should be fully equipped as much as possible, learn as much as you can about human trafficking and what you need to do about it if you suspect it, because you are our first line of defense when it comes to resources or reaching out or needing an approachable resource for survivors or victims of human trafficking at the time to come and say, hey, I need help. So even in my own experience, I made a couple of visits to the emergency room while I was being trafficked. Of course, I've run into law enforcement officers while I was being trafficked. For community members, I like to say, I think we've seen enough movies to know and maybe have had some experience when we see someone make a drug transaction. You know, maybe they're in a parking lot and you see another car and it looks suspicious. It's that same kind of feeling, right? Sometimes it's not always what you see, but it's about a situation and how it makes you feel. And so I like to remind people to remember that part of who we are when we're minding each other. And so you can also see something like a person who may not be able to speak for themselves when they have someone speaking for them. A person who's being trafficked, a lot of times they're not making eye contact. And like I said, speaking for themselves. Sometimes you can see an older person with a younger person that looks suspicious. I had someone who reached out because they saw a man with two little girls at a park and they were different ethnicities and they didn't look clean. And so that was suspicious to them and they called the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And so, um, but because traffickers are aware that we're looking, they use kids, people that are minors that are runners for them. And so their skip parties, traffickers will send, you know, young people to these skip parties and begin to point out or, or look for those who are vulnerable. And so it's just important for parents to really be into their kids. I like to remind folks that, you know, when I was little, my mom and we knew all the neighbors and the neighbors knew me. But in today's time, we may not even know our neighbor, but we have used the internet. We may know someone in Japan or, you know, or, you know, somewhere across the world. So because things have changed, we have to come up with ways as parents to be more involved in what our kids are doing um, because trafficking will continue to evolve and change because remember, this is a business, right? And so traffickers have to keep their business going. So they, their apps that kids will have on their phone and the, the messages disappear. So it's just really important for parents to, to be involved. And, you know, just because you see something doesn't mean it is trafficking, but it's up to us as community members. If we see something suspicious, we can make the call. We don't have to be right or wrong. We could just make the call because we see something suspicious. Yeah, that's great advice. And I appreciate you pointing that out. And some of those observations about 
how the forms that this kind of exploitation can take. And, you know, one of the things that really startled me, uh, you know, as I began to learn more about this is the fact that, as we said earlier, this can happen to individuals at any age. You mentioned the anecdote of someone pointing out an older man with two young girls who looked like their hygiene had not been taken care of, and that being suspicious to someone. You mentioned skip parties and the tactics that are used even to try to lure and exploit teenagers, you know, who are living at home, who could still be exploited uh, under their parents' noses. So it really is, it's it's really great advice uh, that you offer uh, about parents really staying focused on this. And you mentioned some resources. Let's just point those out again. The National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is available online. Uh, anybody, if you suspect something, that's a good resource to start with. And then we mentioned the VHHA Human Trafficking Manual that our task force put together. That is public-facing on our website at vhha.com. We'd invite anybody to take a look at that. And that has a lot of the different tactics and the the different telltale signs that people should be aware of. And so anybody um, who wants to can visit our website and look at that. Uh, and that has a lot of information along the lines of what Tanya was just mentioning. We should also mention here quickly, Tanya, that uh, you and I, in the name of full disclosure, are, are both involved in the planning committee for the second annual regional interdisciplinary collaborative workshop to disrupt human trafficking. That's an upcoming two-day summit that is on February 9th and 10th. It's a virtual summit. It's for healthcare providers, for advocates, for stakeholders, features a roster of renowned speakers, learning sessions, and more. Uh, There's also continuing education credits for healthcare providers. And so we'd encourage anybody who's interested in that program to go online at disrupttrafficking.org. That's disrupttrafficking.org for more information and to register. And so with that important housekeeping out of the way, Tanya, to close us out, before we let you go, since we've tackled the the formal things, I do have a few lighthearted questions to give our listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do to wrap us up here. The first, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, Tanya, but in the hypothetical scenario that you can anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be? My last meal? Yes, ma'am. Um, it would be Puerto Rican food. I'm from New Jersey, and so there's nothing like going to a Puerto Rican restaurant or corner store and having that kind of food. It is amazing. You're right. It is amazing. I, I actually was born in New Jersey in Passaic in North Jersey. Uh, and, oh, wow. And have also uh, lived in Philadelphia uh, in the past. And okay. there's a um, significant Puerto Rican community in Philadelphia, and there's a great Puerto Rican restaurant called Freddy and Tony's where they have uh, roast pork and they have the yellow rice and the beans and the yeah. plantains. Uh, so I, I agree oh, with you. Yeah. That is a that is a fantastic meal. Yeah. And then to continue on that notion for just a second, if you, Tanya, if you could pick one person other than family, from any point in history, living or not, to join you for that meal, who would that person be? Harriet Tubman, all day long. Oh, my God. I want to talk to her about her entire life, her, what her process, her thought, that moment when she had an opportunity to stay where she was or to go back and free others. And the, the journey in doing that and finding allies, oh, my God, beautiful. I would love to hear all about it. Well, she's a survivor and a leader like you. And then finally, Tanya, to close us out, a question we ask all of our guests on the podcast, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? My favorite artist is Corinne Bailey Ray. Okay. Just Um, like a star? Yes. (laughs) Well, yes. Well, all of her albums. (laughs) Whispers of the Heart. Put your records on Tell me your favorite song You'll 
my favorite book, the one that changed my life was called, and you may remember this, Rolling Thunder, Hear My Cry. I read it when I was in eighth grade and it changed my life. The next one was Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. I read that when it first came out three times and had two book clubs on it. Um, that was amazing and it's just full. And what was the last one? Movie is the last one. Princess Bride. Zinega Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. That is an <laughs> 80s classic. <laughs> yes. Well, listen, yes. I want to thank you for being with us today and for sharing some of your experience and your powerful personal story and testimony. We wish you all the luck going forward in your new role with the Attorney General's Office in fighting human trafficking. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Tanya Gould, for sharing her story and being with us today. So Tanya, thanks again. Thank you. Talk to you soon.